Hello and welcome into a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. As always, I am your host, TJ McBride of MileHighSports.com. That is where you can find all content for all Colorado sports all in one place. So go to MileHighSports.com and look for whatever sport you may be looking for in the top right corner. Um, there will be prep stuff going up there, lots of college bas- uh, lots of college football, tons of Broncos conversations, and of course, I will be continually creating Nuggets content as well. Um, I'm going to get into a few things today. So first of all, the tournament is over for Serbia and the USA. So we'll get into just some takeaways. We'll look at some significant players on the Serbian team. I'm going to end up ranting and raving about how much I love Bogdan Bogdanovic at one point. Um, and then we'll talk about why USA ended up in seventh and why the and why the Serbians ended up in fifth. In addition to that, we'll talk about some things that we learned about the Nuggets in particular from the FIBA World Cup play. So I'll talk about Nikola Jokic, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Mason Plumley, and then we. Will We'll finish the show by looking ahead to Spain's gold medal game tomorrow morning against Argentina, which is going to be awesome. So before I go any further, though, there is some news. Um, and there's not a whole lot I can reveal, but I wanted to at least give listeners an idea of what to expect for what is coming. In the next week or so, the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast is going to look a little different. It's going to be in a different place. Um, it will, I will still be writing for Mile High Sports. I will still be recording this podcast regularly, but it will just look a little bit different. Everything is good. Everything is positive. Everything is going in the correct direction. It just may look a little different. So get ready for a new and improved version of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Look for it to be awesome, and I will be releasing that probably sometime, not next week, but the week after. Going to be a lot of good stuff, though, so looking forward to that. Um, Additionally, i got to give some love to the Regulators Production Group for putting the beats together for the intro and outro of this podcast. This podcast sounds way more mediocre without them, so thanks to the Regulators Production Group, particularly Rod Simba on Instagram, that's R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A, who reached out to me and helped me put together this package. So definitely go reach out to at Regulators Regime on Instagram for any of your audio production needs. Or if you're looking to reach out to an individual, Rod Simba, again, R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram is extremely good at what he does. Additionally, this podcast is sponsored by Terrapin Care Station. So for any of your cannabis needs in the Denver metro area, Terrapin Care Station is the place to be. So before we go any further, I got to give you a couple quick more words about Terrapin. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. talking about the Serbians and the Americans as it pertains to the FIBA World Cup, which has obviously been a topic of conversation that we have hammered so far this summer. 
Uh, so now the World Cup is over for both Serbia and the Americans. Serbia finished fifth after beating the Czech Republic to th this morning to be able to lock themselves into that spot. And the USA team ended up seventh after beating Poland this morning. So their tournaments are over. There was a lot of things that went into both teams' downfall. This was the first time in FIBA World Cup or World Championship history that Serbia slash Yugoslavia and the United States failed to make the semifinals of the World Cup. It's never happened before. In addition to that, the USA team has never finished as badly as they did this time at the FIFA World Cup. Finishing 7th is an all-time worst finish for the USA team. So, overall, this was an absolute failure for both of these teams in the grand scheme of things. Serbia was looked at as the team who could usurp the United States from the gold medal... Um, from gold medal contention, and on the other side, the USA team hadn't lost in like 74 games or whatever it was. So for both of these teams to lose in the quarterfinals in the fashion that they did was extremely surprising. Um... There were still some good things to take away, especially from the Serbian side, because they played so incredibly well outside of two games. Outside of the fact that they just completely let off the gas in the second quarter against Spain, which forced them to play Argentina, and despite the fact that Argentina just could not miss. So those two games skewed the result quite a bit. I thought Serbia played really well. Um... But overall, especially with how it pertains to their coaching and their rotations, things just, they, they weren't getting the most out of their roster, and that's a big reason why Sasha Djorovic, the head coach of the Serbian national team, stepped down this morning according to Eurohoops. So... That was frustrating, the fact that they played Nikola Jokic at, at um, power forward so much and did not play through him enough. The fact that they had so many centers on the roster. The fact that they just refused to, to, to play small ball despite the fact that Spain had ran them off the floor in the second quarter. All of those things were just frustrating to watch, but there were some good things to take away. And the number one thing, which has no connection to the Nuggets, is the fact that Bogdan Bogdanovic was incredible in this tournament. His averages, let's just run through his numbers real quick. So he averaged 22.9 points a game. That was third in the FIBA World Cup. He averaged 4.1 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.3 steals, and only 1.4 turnovers a game while playing under 30 minutes a game. So to continue how incredible his numbers are, which 23, 4, and 4 is already incredible, but he shot... 55.6% from the field on 108 attempts. He shot 53% from three on 66 attempts and then rounded it off with an 80% free, uh, free throw shooting on 35 attempts. So again, third in points per game, but he was only eighth in field goals attempted per game. He was first in total three-pointers in the entire tournament. Bogdan had nine more threes than second place. Second place had nine more threes than sixth place. He had 34 and second place had 25. The disparity between how productive Bogdan Bogdanovic was as a three-point shooter compared to the rest of the World Cup field was, you can't compare the two. Bogdan Bogdanovic was the best shooter in this tournament, full stop, end of conversation. He, if he can carry this growth that he showed in the FIBA World Cup over into the NBA season, the Sacramento Kings are going to be formidable in the Western Conference. Bogdan Bogdanovic, the one term that I have said way too much that just keeps popping in my head when I watch him play is just he is fearless. His shooting ability has no fear behind it. There is no hesitation. He is not overthinking anything. He goes out there, and if the defender goes under the screen, he pulls up. If he can't get by him, he pulls up. And if neither of those work, he moves the ball and, keep, and stays off of it and runs around screens. He knows exactly how to be lethal off-ball in that way. 
And the fact that he's growing as a playmaker, to be able to average 4.3 assists in this tournament was a big deal for him. To see him growing as an attacker with the ball in his hands, as someone who can play off the bounce more, not just as a finisher, but as a creator, is a very big deal. And I am of the feeling, I'm starting to really buy into the fact that the Sacramento Kings can make a very real run at the 8th, 7th, or 6th seed, depending on how the Western Conference shakes out. Marvin Bagley will no longer be a rookie and will take a step forward. De'Aaron Fox has been improving every single time he steps on the floor. Buddy Heald took a gigantic leap last year and is one of the most lethal off-ball shooters there is in the league right now. And then to take it a step further, if Bogdan Bogdanovich can continue this style of play, that fearlessness, that floor spacing, the fact that he can hit 44% of his threes this year potentially... Those things are going to round out the Kings' offense so well to where they are going to make life difficult for people. Um, last stat I wanted to throw out there is that Bogdanovich played 224 minutes 224 minutes in this tournament, and Serbia outscored their opponents by 100 points in those 224 minutes. So overall, when he was on the floor, he was great. Um, Obviously, this is a Nuggets podcast, so let's talk about Nikola Jokic. His averages do not jump off the page like they like they usually do. Nikola Jokic is known as a box score stuffer, but 11.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, and 4.8 assists is nothing insane that you would expect. Um, he was only playing like 25 minutes a game in this tournament, but still, that scoring number being so low was... Um, I don't want to say it was surprising because of how Nikola Jokic plays and how many finishers and talented players they had on the team, but Nikola Jokic was playing against bench units 90% of the time throughout the tournament. He should have been able just to destroy whoever was in front of him, and he chose not to. That's really the fact of the matter. Uh, 4.8 assists is good, uh, especially considering the, the small amount of minutes that he played, but the one big issue is that he averaged 2.9 turnovers per game, only playing like 25 minutes a game. That is bad. That's a lot of turnovers. I don't want to say that Nikola Jokic is going to enter the NBA next year as a gigantic turnover problem for the Nuggets. I do not believe that, but this is notable that Nikola Jokic was that much more loose with the ball than he has been. Jokic went from two years ago until last year, he took his turnover numbers and dropped them a lot. His ability to not turn the ball over as often as he used to is a big deal. The Nuggets' turnover issues plagued them for multiple years up until last year when they became one of the best teams in the NBA at controlling the basketball and not giving away opportunities. So Nikola Jokic has got to fine-tune those those turnover issues a little bit. Um, Beyond that, though, hyper-efficient as a scorer. 68% from the field on 50 attempts. He shot 4 of 10 from 3, which is a small sample size, but it's good to see him hit 40% of his threes. And then an 80% free throw shooter on 25 attempts. But again, the issue is is that Nikola Jokic played 8 games from the qual- from the quarterfinals forward and only had 50 shots total that's weird I, I don't I, I wish Nikola Jokic would have shot the ball more it did seem like the Serbian team was not playing through him nearly as much he was relegated to a decoy in the corner a screen setter and an offensive rebounder a lot of times which does hurt his ability to impact the game in his 181 minutes on the floor, though, Serbia did outscore their opponents by 101 points. So overall, when he was on the floor, Serbia was fantastic, but it wasn't... I hmm. I guess the way to phrase this is that Sasha Djorovic, the 
now former head coach of the Serbian national team just failed to get the most out of having the best center in basketball on his team. And that's always going to be frustrating for Serbian fans, for Nuggets fans, and for fans of international basketball as a whole. Because Nikola Jokic had so much more he could have provided to this team that he was not allowed to do so, whether it was for roster construction, whether it was because he showed up late to training camp, and not on his own accord. That was because he had other things going up. That was an agent thing. Boban also showed up late. Um, so I don't know if that had connections to it, but it was frustrating to see Nikola Jokic use more as a decoy than a focal point of the offense. Um, let's move to the USA side of the ball. <sighs> this is another weird thing because USA finished seventh, their worst ever. Um, they were inefficient as a scoring team. They had too many centers and not enough depth. They had no playmaking outside of their guards. And honestly... They just lack talent, which is such a weird thing to say about a team from the United States as it pertains to international play. They came into this tournament, and they were not the most talented team. I think that's what this comes down to. I'm not saying they were fifth or sixth. They were right there in the elite level of teams in FIBA World Cup play, but they're usually head and shoulders above everybody else that they were not able to use that talent discrepancy to outweigh the fact that they don't have familiarity with each other and they have not practiced together for very long. Um, the lack of playmaking beyond their guards was big because whenever the ball got into the post or got into the paint, it never came out. That really became a black hole for them on offense, and because of that, they weren't able to get the three-point shooting that they needed to be able to outscore teams. So their offense suffered. They took a lot of tough uh, two-point shots, whether it was in the paint or mid-range shots, and they weren't able to get the ball into the high post and run actions off of a big in any way. They had hoped that Mason Plumlee could be that guy, but he just couldn't be. Whether or not he was given enough time to be that guy for USA is a different argument. He only played 47 total minutes in eight games in this tournament, but they needed more front court versatility than they were able to put out there on the court. Um, additionally, the international talent level right now is so high. I mean, every single team had a very real ability to give the USA a run for their money. Serbia, in my opinion, should have been favored over the USA team. Spain has multiple NBA caliber players. You have even teams like Argentina, where Luis Scola is still a very reputable player, and Facundo Campazzo, if he didn't love playing in, in Real Madrid so much, would probably be an NBA player himself. So, with the international talent level growing so rapidly and the USA players having so many star players falling out, this is kind of an, ex I wouldn't say expected, but it's not surprising that they fell from grace in this way. I also expect this to continue. I talked about this on the Locked On Nuggets podcast that I guest hosted while Adam Mates was out of town. Um, I spoke about how the timeline for how the FIBA World Cup now works does not allow itself to for star players to join from the USA side of things. The way things are working now is, for a lot of these teams, let's take the Nuggets, for instance. Uh, you know what? Let's yeah, Actually, no, the Nuggets work. The Nuggets played two full playoff series, two seven-game series. They had a little bit of an offseason, and then Wancho Hernan Gomez, Mason Plumley, and Nikola Jokic all went out to their own home country's training camp to prepare for the FIBA World Cup. So the offseason right there is immediately cut down drastically. You then have training camp. 
that you run through, you then have to play FIBA World Cup, and once the World Cup ends, you have, like, not even two weeks until you jump right back into your NBA team's training camp before you kick off the NBA season, which will then go through the playoffs, hopefully, for the Nuggets, but this is where it gets interesting. After this coming season, these same players are going to have to go out to training camp with their home countries once again to get ready for the Olympics. So, you're now talking about playing an entire NBA season using your offseason for FIBA, playing another entire NBA season and using your offseason for the Olympics before going right back into another NBA season. You're talking about playing two and a half, three years of straight basketball with almost no offseason. Because of that, in my opinion, what is going to end up happening is superstar players are going to choose to not play in the FIBA World Cup to get that offseason of rest so they can then prioritize the NBA season and the Olympics as opposed to FIBA World Cup. There's a lot of reasons for this. First of all, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Jordan, all these companies would much rather be at the Olympics than the FIBA World Cup. There's just more exposure for the brand, and there's more exposure for the individual player's brand um, than, than there would be in the FIBA World Cup. You're in Tokyo, you're in the Olympic Village, it's streamed on every single um, channel you can possibly think of. Because of that, the limelight of the Olympics is going to attract the star players, while the FIBA World Cup will end up being more of a, in my opinion a qualifying team to get ready for the Olympics so these tar-level players will end up going to the Olympics and just do what they do and clean up. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out. Um, before we go any further, though, I got to give a quick little word about Mason Plumlee. He averaged 1.3 points, 2.7 rebounds, and only played 47 total minutes in eight games. I will say this, though. We'll talk about um, some things to take away from it, but it seemed like every single person on that USA team really enjoyed being around Mason Plumlee, which is important. Let's dive into what can be learned about the Nuggets from FIBA World Cup play and how they actually played in this tournament. Um, let's just start with Nikola Jokic, because I feel like there were some glaring issues that actually popped out in this that I think need to be addressed going into next season. First of all, Nikola Jokic and his relationship with anybody wearing black and white as an official seems to be absolutely abysmal. Nikola Jokic is hot-headed when it comes to the officials, and when you start talking about the repercussions of his actions as it pertains to his relationship with the officials, you can directly correlate his explosion on the officials against Spain in the second quarter that got him ejected to the demise of the Serbian national team, which eventually led them to not competing for a medal in the World Cup. Think of it this way. Serbia, at the time that Nikola Jokic got ejected, was early in the second quarter, and they were losing, but they weren't completely out of the game. Nikola Jokic gets fouled on the double team. There's no question if he got fouled or not, but he snapped and went after the official verbally and then got thrown. From that point forward, Serbia lost the second quarter, I believe it was 35-17, to and then eventually lost to Spain in the game, despite the fact that Bogdan Bogdanovic almost dragged that team all the way back. If Nikola Jokic was on the floor, and if Bogdan Bogdanovic is doing what he's doing, there's a like there is a chance that Serbia finds a way to beat Spain. They have been the comeback kings quite a few times in this tournament. So then let's just say, let's live in this hypothetical world real quick. Serbia beats Spain, and now Serbia has to play Poland, not Argentina, in the quarterfinals. The reason that's important is because Argentina beat the uh, beat Serbia and are now in the gold medal game, which was such a more difficult matchup than playing Poland, who just finished eighth. So that alone 
likely means that Serbia would have gotten past the, the qualifying round and would have found themselves on the opposite side of the bracket of the USA team and in the semifinals getting ready to take on, I believe it would have been France, someone like that. That alone gives, the, gives Serbia an opportunity to medal in this tournament. That singular decision for Nikola Jokic to go nuclear on that official completely started the demise. It wasn't all on his shoulders. Serbia could not hit anything against Argentina, and they had their own issues to deal with, like, like the fact that they could not defend Luis Scola. But if you start talking about probabilities, it's insane how much better the probability would be that the Serbians managed to meddle in this tournament if Nikola Jokic did not get ejected against Spain. Um, I don't want to hammer that anymore. I've hammered it a ton, but Nikola Jokic needs to find a way to build a functional relationship with officials, not something that ends in these nuclear explosions that he has had a couple times. Uh, moving on, though, Jokic's turnover issues were glaring. What was it? Uh, 2.9... Uh, here we go. Where is it? 2.9 turnovers per game playing like 24 minutes a night. That's a ton. You're talking about Nikola Jokic averaging almost five and a half, six assists per 36 minutes at that point. Um, this is, there's a lot that goes into this. First of all, Nikola Jokic was playing out of position. He was playing a ton of power forward. Secondly, they weren't playing through him. So it seemed like Nikola Jokic, whenever he got the ball, was kind of forcing things because he doesn't get the ball for their offense for some reason. So those things did lead to his turnovers to his turnover issues spiking. I spoke about in the first segment about how the Nuggets got so much better with taking care of the basketball last season, and hopefully Nikola Jokic's turnover issues do not suddenly start to hurt that development that they had last season. We'll have to wait and see. These are eight games in the FIBA World Cup where Nikola Jokic was playing out of position and in a completely different system, so it's very easy just to look at this as a, you know, he's he was uncomfortable in his role, but again, that's a lot of turnovers. On the positive end, though, Nikola Jokic's defense looked a lot better, and it wasn't just that he was one-on-one -on -one defending guys in the perimeter and moving incredibly well. It was the mental aspect of it. He saw defensive plays developing ahead of time like he does offensively. I wrote about this like a year and a half, two years ago for Mile High Sports, how Nikola Jokic can grow into a strong defender because of how well he sees the floor, how well he can see these things developing in front of him. So, with that in mind... If Nikola Jokic can learn to adapt his incredibly high basketball IQ to the defensive end of the floor, which he looked like he did at points in the FIBA World Cup, it can take him from a league average defender to potentially someone in the same style of a Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol won a defensive player of the year. I'm not saying Nikola Jokic is going to win a defensive player of the year. I'm saying he can beat guys to positions, he can know where the ball is going to end up, he can read plays early, and he can use his IQ as his advantage on defense as opposed to his lackluster athletic ability. So I think that that's important, that you can see Nikola Jokic seeing where the ball is going to be three steps ahead of time and being able to call it out and help his team on defense. If that continues to grow, it will only help the Nuggets. Also, his three-point shooting was kind of consistent. Um, Nikola Jokic was as inconsistent of a three-point shooter as it gets last year. Um, he would go on streaks where he had half, you know, 50% of his threes for five games, and then he'd miss his next 22. Like it, He was all over the place as a three-point shooter, but, you know, hit four of your ten threes, look comfortable shooting them, all good things. Let's move on to Juancho Hernan Gomez, who still has one game left because they will, because Spain will be taking on Argentina for the gold medal. Um... In my opinion, Wancho has looked very good. 
And if you looked at box scores, it'd be easy to be like, he hasn't made much of an impact. And I kind of fell into that trap myself. I spoke about how I wanted to see Juancho Hernan Gomez have a statement game, have a game where he kind of stands out amongst the lower level talent of international play. And that I hadn't seen that yet. And that was something that not worried me, but I had hoped to see. I'm backtracking that right now. I was wrong. I think it's important that Juancho Hernan Gomez is acting as a fourth or fifth option as a starter on the Spanish national team who plays so well together. That is exactly the type of role he would play in Denver if he got to his absolute ceiling. So that's a good thing. He was able to produce, he was able to do what he needed to do in the role that he would likely fill at the NBA level. That's important. Additionally, this is Juancho Hernan Gomez who had offseason core surgery and he looked healthy. He looked athletic. He was consistent knocking down his shots. Overall, I think Juancho Hernan Gomez did himself a lot of favors in this World Cup. In addition to that, I thought his ability to defend was better than advertised. He has been an abysmal defender at the NBA level, but he looked improved on that end of the floor in the FIBA World Cup. We'll have to wait and see how that transfers to the NBA level, but I can make an argument that he has looked better, and that's something that is promising, if nothing else, because Juancho Hernan Gomez has had so much bad luck as a player so far. Um, let's talk about Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley, there's not a whole lot to take away because he's played so little. Again, 1.3 points per game and only played 47 minutes in eight games. But he's been spoken about as such an incredible teammate. I mean, there are so many things about what he brings off the court and the small dirty work he does on it that does not show up in the box score that means so much for so many teams that he has played on. There's a reason that he was so beloved in Portland. There's a reason so many players with the Nuggets appreciate what he brings to the team on a day-to-day basis. And it seems that no matter where he goes, that mindset follows him. Not follows him. That is a mindset that he puts into action. This is not a passive thing. It is not by accident. Mason Plumley has built himself into a model teammate, and I think that that's one of the biggest values that he brings to an NBA team. Um, I will say this, though. The NBA desperately needed a frontcourt creator, and he was not able to fill that role despite the fact that he has had the skill set in the past before to do so. So that's frustrating, but those are the quick takeaways that I have from a Nuggets point of view looking at the World Cup. Um, The last thing, actually, this is kind of an off-the-beaten path. I didn't even write it down. It just popped into my head. Jamal Murray did not get to play in the World Cup because of an ankle injury. I really, really hope we get to see Jamal Murray play for Canada in the Olympics. After watching Bogdan Bogdanovic play for Serbia and me paying a lot more attention to the minutia of what works well at the international level, I can't help but believe that Jamal Murray is going to thrive in this setting. Additionally, Jamal Murray loves playing for Canada. It means a ton to him. He's been playing there, or he's been playing for their national team since you know, U-17s back when he wasn't even a college player at Kentucky yet. So I do, I want to talk about Jamal Murray as just a player who is probably going to be extremely successful in an international circuit if he does indeed play for Canada in the Olympics. And I really hope he does because Canada went from having arguably their most talented international roster ever to all of them getting hurt and dropping out. And I really hope we get to see the best version of Canada basketball because it's much better than they have been able to show thus far. All right, that is all I got as a for what for what we can learn about the Nuggets as it pertains to the World Cup. But let's just quickly look ahead to Spain and, and the gold medal game against Argentina because obviously Juancho Hernan Gomez will be involved in this game. 
I'm going to have a lot of trouble not rooting for Argentina, <laughs> to be completely frank. I haven't had a rooting interest in a game in quite a while as it pertains to basketball, but I absolutely adore the way that they have played. They have been gritty. They have fought for everything they had. They have a 39-year-old Luis Scola who could arguably be the MVP of the FIBA World Cup. They have Facundo Campaza, who is an underrated point guard. He plays for Real Madrid in the ACB League, so he's been overlooked because he hasn't come over across because uh, he hasn't come across to the States, but his ability has been incredible. He is arguably a starting caliber point guard in the NBA as he is playing right now. That would have to be played out at the NBA level, but that's how I feel about him. I do believe that he is that good. His passing is next level. He can play pick and roll basketball. He can play on or off ball. He can space the floor. He is so, so good. And their pick and roll between Luis Scola and Facundo Campazzo has allowed Argentina, despite the fact that the golden days of their international team is behind them, to still be the Cinderella story of the FIBA World Cup. They were 100 to 1 odds to win originally before they started group play. And here they are in the gold medal game. So now, what matchups are most important? Um, I think the one I'm looking forward to the most is Luis Scola versus Marc Gasol, because you have two extremely savvy veteran bigs who are going to be the fulcrum of everything that they do on both ends of the floor for their respective teams. So that matchup alone is going to be such a tell for how this game is going to eventually finish. Um, I wonder if Luis Scola has one more insane game left in him. Again, he's 39 years old. For him to do this at this level and play as many minutes as he has is already staggering. Um, I do think he has more in the tank, though. And the reason why is because seeing him and Manu Ginobili embrace after Argentina got to the gold medal game, that... You see such a pride in what he is doing for his home country of Argentina. And I think that he will do everything to leave every last shred of, you know, any kind of energy he has left out on that floor. If Luis Scola can play Marc Gasol even, then I think Argentina's odds of winning this game jump up significantly. Uh, and this is the thing. The reason they've won so many games is because Luis Scola has outplayed better players. He outplayed Rudy Gobert. He outplayed Nikola Jokic. So if he, if he can continue to show that he can outplay players who have been generally regarded as better than him, it's going to allow Argentina to stay on this incredible run that they are on. The other interesting matchup is Ricky Rudy. Rubio versus Facundo Campazzo. Ricky Rubio has been defensively a monster in the FIBA World Cup. He's a lot, he's been the, one of the biggest reasons that Spain has been one of the more menacing defensive teams in the tournament. But Facundo Campazzo's three-point shooting, his playmaking, his ability to break down a defense has been huge as a supplementary offensive output for Luis Scola. So, will Ricky Rubio's length and tenacity on defense make life difficult enough to limit Facundo Campazzo? If that is the case, that's going to be very tough for Argentina to overcome. On the other side of that spectrum, though, can Facundo Campazzo's three-point shooting and playmaking outweigh Ricky Rubio's ability to score the basketball? and inability to hit outside shots and his playmaking? I think Facundo Campazzo 
has the math in his favor because of how good of a three-point shooter he is. If he can be as lights out from three as he has been in this tournament, it's going to be huge to be able to offset the math of Ricky Rubio being such a good defender and such a good creator. So I cannot wait to see that. And the last one, the most interesting matchup in my opinion, is how Argentina is going to deal with Sergio Lowell and Spain's second unit. Spain's second unit has probably been the MVP of the tournament so far. They have ran teams out of gyms with that second unit of Sergio Lowell playing like Steph Curry, and I'm not saying that lightly. He is not Steph, obviously, but the style of play in which he is utilizing is very Steph-esque. So if somehow Argentina can put Gabriel Deck, who is a small forward slash shooting guard, to defend Sergio Lowell and get enough offense from Deck to be able to offset the Spanish national team's bench unit, that will be huge as well. I do not expect Argentina to be able to handle um, Sp- the Spanish national team's bench unit. They're going to have to win with their starters. They're going to have to play Compazzo and Scola at least 32 minutes apiece in a 40-minute game. And it's going to be very difficult for them to pull this off. Spain should be favored, and people should be taking Spain to win. I'm done counting out Argentina. I have been wrong about Argentina so many times at this point, and I'm probably going to be wrong one last time because I'm finally flipping my tune and picking them to win gold. That's where I'm at. I believe in this team. So we'll have to wait and see. I cannot wait to see what happens. Walter Hernan Gomez is going to have plenty of crap to talk to the rest of his Nuggets team about his silver or gold medal regardless of what happens, but it's going to be fun. That's all I got today, guys. It's been a lot of fun doing FIBA International Basketball Conver- or <laughs> Federal International Basketball Conversations. If you can't tell, the lack of sleep and being up from 2 a.m. throughout the rest of my day to watch basketball has morphed my brain into Play-Doh, so I'm sorry if I have sounded a little bit dumb throughout por- portions of the podcast I have done for the past couple weeks, but it's been an incredible amount of fun. I'll be back very shortly with another podcast next week. Until then, we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>